This interview today, what we call in England, is an absolute belter. We have the CEO and founder of Franchise, and we're going to talk about investing in businesses across the United States of America and compare and contrast that with real estate. Let's get into it. All right, so I'm super excited today. We have Kenny on, who is the CEO and founder of Franchise, and they basically lets you invest into a franchise like you would invest into a stock. But I might have butchered that a little bit, so I'll di divert over to you, Kenny. Nobody, <laughs> yeah, know that, that's no <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows Kenny better than Kenny. So so go ahead, introduce <laughs> yourself. Let, let everyone know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so my name is Kenny Rosen, the founder and CEO at Franchares, and we're the first platform that lets anyone invest in franchises like you could stocks. So as little as 500 bucks, own a piece of income producing uh, franchise businesses. Got it. Got it. So how did you get to this point? What made <laughs> you get into this realm? I, I get that a lot. I call um, I call franchising the F word of business ownership and people are like, what the F, you know? Um, gotcha. But, uh, you know, uh, I actually got my career kicked off in the world of finance. I was an advisor at Merrill Lynch up in San Francisco. But, you know, 10 mm -hmm. plus years ago doing that in San Francisco, I saw robo-advisors coming and uh, also yeah. wasn't quite cut out for the uh, corporate office life. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to see what else is out there. And, you know, family friend, uh, he was the CEO of a company that coaches CEOs. So I'm like, oh, yeah, great person to talk to. I'm like, what, what, what do you think I should go for the next step? And he throws me an absolute curveball. What do you know about franchises? And I'm like, <laughs> something I've heard a thousand times, well, a couple thousand times since then. McDonald's, Subway, Taco Bell. And he blew my mind. He's like, well, did you know my company's a franchise? I'm like, wait, there's a franchise for coaching CEOs? And I, that was the start of a long path to find out franchising covers hundreds of different industries besides fast food. And they do everything from like automotive, hair care, uh, a lot of real estate ones we'll talk about, uh, waste management, it's all over the place. And uh, so I got into this career of franchise brokerage, which is kind of like being like a realtor or an investment advisor for someone who wants to own a franchise. You know, I educate them on what that's like and uh, understand their budget, their skill set and their goals. And I introduce them to a couple different brands that fit those characteristics and I coach them through the research and purchase process. And so I'd been with the world's largest brokerage for about five years. They had uh, 150 offices, started off in business development, eventually took over most of L.A. County and um, you know, eventually went out and started my own brokerage company called Semfi. I ran for about the next five years and uh, really focused on franchising more as an asset investment. And um, you know, I wanted to become a thought leader in this space. So I just started writing online, reached out to journalists, and eventually got into Forbes, ABC, like Business Insider did a whole article on my role in the industry, and uh, reached over 300 million people without a penny in ad spend. So wow. you know, I had this idea for franchises actually like seven years ago, but I really wanted yeah. to like build myself as just like the absolute fundable founder for it. And um, then a uh, pandemic hit, and I read an article that people were gambling on the stock market because sports were on. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> investing doesn't make sense. It's time to do this. Well, actually, I, I, the way I said it was I'm late. So I you know, shut down the brokerage, went out and uh, got some venture backing for franchises, and uh, got us launched. It's been a, quite a journey since then. So it sounds like that first like light bulb switched on when you spoke to your friend who said, um, you know, did you know that my business was a franchise? Yeah. And then you probably did a little bit of digging, looked behind the curtain and found out, wow, this is a major, major industry. Yeah. That's it's a like franchise. A trillion, that... It's ahead. like a trillion dollar industry that most people don't think about yet. Everyone's aware of it. Like if you asked everyone, you could find what, if they know what a franchise is, you'd be hard fine to get one that doesn't. Yeah. So let's let's touch on franchise a little bit. Let's dig into that, but then let's care, compare and contrast real estate investing to uh, franchise investing. Yeah, definitely. so go ahead. What, what's what's franchise's vision? If if I'm wanting to invest into franchises, don't know how to, what should I look for? What returns? You know, what I guess ex sum it up to me. Why franchise? Basically, yeah. Definitely. So, um, you know, it's really just uh, it's diversification of your portfolio that offers a couple really great uh, benefits for one passive income, which I know, especially real estate investors love. You get that equity appreciation component as well. And it's really good for hedging against inflation, too, because, um, you know, it's 
a little hard. I'd say this is one of the upsides compared to real estate is like you can change prices at the store quicker than you could change rent. And so as the cost of goods increases, you can uh, increase those prices at the restaurant or whatever business level as well. And, um, you know, I, 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 I go hard bound by the SEC rules, so I can't get too much into returns. All I say is, you know, each offering is very unique and you'll be very happy with it. But, um, you know, to get started with all this, like, I know most people don't know that much about franchising. So we're very big on like education first. And on top of that, if we had like a, hey, go pick and build your portfolio, like a stock picker, most people wouldn't know what to do. And so we started mm -hmm. off with a diversified portfolio of franchises. So you're diversified across industry, brand, and geography. And, um, you know, we want to get sure, make sure that you have basically like a mutual fund of franchises to get started. Um, but why, yeah, and then, why, yeah. why franchises versus, say, independently owned and operated businesses? I think, I forget how many small businesses there are in America, but a lot of those small businesses are owned primarily by baby boomers right now that are yeah. probably looking to exit. So mm -hmm. I guess why franchises versus independently owned businesses? Yeah. And you know, it's funny. It's uh, the same. Well, there's a couple parts. One franchises are small businesses too. It's like a lot of people have a hard right. time grasping, but it's like you have a local <laughs> business owner, local employees, like more money that you spend there is staying in your local economy than when you go to Trader Joe's by a large amount. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, there, just like there's the great wealth transfer going on, you mentioned like boomers are looking to sell. The same thing's happening in the franchise world too. About 65% of franchises are owned by boomers. They're looking to retire and their kids are not the hands-on type that want to take that on. And so we actually fit into a great area where we can get the best deals because you put yourself in the eyes of the franchise owner. Hey, I spent 20, 30 years building this. And like anyone who's built a company, I like my company culture. I'm a big part of the community. Like I love this business. And typically you're going to be selling it to private equity because frankly, their checks clear and when they come in and they fire half your staff and they start cutting corners and the quality goes down, like, you know, the difference between when an owner operator is at that location versus when it's just like big money's in it. And it's just kind of feels like a ghost town or, you know, it's a lot of the love is lost. And so um, when we look at it, like I'm going to tap the, their next person that was underneath them and be like, Hey, why don't you sell it to that guy? Let's call him Jim. And they're like, oh, I love Jim. I'd love if he could buy it, but he doesn't have whatever, 20 million bucks to go buy the funds. And I'd be like, yeah, right. well, we do. And that's the person who should own it. So we're able to fund the true operators as opposed to just writing checks. And um, interesting. And, yeah. You see this a lot in, across different brands mm -hmm. like Burger King and McDonald's are shutting down hundreds of locations this year because people were writing checks, but not putting in the effort. And so that's where our model is really great is that we can fund those best operators who do wake up every day ready to go work in that business and they're you know salt of the earth people and they're going to go beat the pavement in whatever you know industry it is and so we align more with both the franchisor's goals as well as the franchisees right so if i wanted to go out myself and go find a franchise to acquire how should i go about that process what in your experience what franchises should i target what am I looking for as a mm -hmm. guy that said, let's say I know nothing about franchising? Yeah. Um, so you really want to take a step back before you even go into like which franchise I'm looking for, because there's a couple of different buckets you have to assess first mm -hmm. or else you could get kind of sold on something that's not actually a good fit for you. So first you're thinking about like, what's my skill set? You know, are you good at sales? Are you good at project management? Are you good at you know operations or technology? Because these different skill sets put you in place for different types of franchises, especially if you've got a great sales skill set, man, opens the door for so many of them. But if you're terrible right. at that, you will piss away your money if uh, trying to invest that. Sorry, I'm not PC there. Um, but, That's totally fine. Um, but um, yeah, so you want to understand like what your skill sets are. And I clearly outlined that. And so as you go and research, it's like, do, do my skill sets really align with the core functions of this business? And note, that's not the industry, but it's what the owner does in the business because there's a difference between what the business does and what the owner does. You know, a great example is like you come from tech or you're in general, just a great project manager. Something like automotive is actually a great fit for you because, and you don't have to know how to work cars necessarily, but you know how to follow systems in place and automotive mm -hmm. shops typically are very process driven uh, establishments. And so it's great for you. And versus like someone might think like, Oh, senior care, great industry. So many people are retiring. It's growing. But if you don't have a sales skill set, and believe me, that is a sales industry, you're not going to be successful in it.
So mm -hmm. understand and stick to what your core competencies are. Um, yep. The next is really, uh, I mean, understanding like uh, your budget is a big part of it too. You don't want to look at something that's outside your reach. I mean, there's always gonna be someone to try and sell you something outside your reach, but you should really stick to like, this is my budget and I'm doing it. And so, um, and it also includes like, understanding what your net net worth is, what your liquidity is, because franchises do have uh, minimums that they have for both those areas. And you don't have to buy the franchise all out in cash. You know, most people do like a uh, SBA backed loan. And um, so they put 20% down and then get a loan for the rest. And what's right. really cool is like, you can actually use retirement assets uh, without hitting a tax penalty or um, uh, paying taxes on it. It's just like if you roll over, moving to a new company, same similar type of fashion. So, um, you know, understanding what my liquidity is like in cash now, or if I were to use retirement assets, what that's like. And then if that's 20%, there's my budget now. So now I understand mm -hmm. your budget and your skill set. Uh, then it's all right. You wanted to understand which ones fit that skill set, what's available in your area. And so a couple of ways that you can do that. I mean, First, people like to window shop. Like you can go to like, um, there's like Forbes and Entrepreneur have their top franchises list. Um, I mean, you go look and type in franchise director, you'll find all sorts. It's really good to just like get an idea and look around because most people are thinking right away, like, oh, it's just fast food. And so you're going to start seeing all these different industries and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And um, then, uh, you know, another route, like I said, I came from the franchise brokerage space. And so mm -hmm. I you know, you, they, they don't cost you anything to work with. They get a cut of the franchise fee. So you might as well go work with one. Like you don't have to go with the ones that they say for you, but it's not going to cost you any more than if you did all that yourself. And um, so, you know, it's really important to like, get recommendations from them, but also like make sure you stick to your guns. And it's the right fit for you. Um, and uh, yeah, also I like, go talk to a couple different ones, find one that like truly gets you. Locals always appreciated too. And um I'll be honest, they don't usually call themselves uh, franchise brokers. Uh, they usually go by the term franchise consultants. I, I found that term very misleading. So I always said mm -hmm. franchise broker. Um, but yeah, so that's the beginning part of it for sure. So are you suggesting working with a broker versus going directly to an owner operator themselves? Like what's the nuances there? Oh, so if you're talking like acquiring an existing location. Um, yeah. Very, yeah, very different story. Um, so that one, like a lot of people tend to go to like websites like biz buy sell or just like other like business broker websites. What mm -hmm. I told anyone who ever asked about resales uh, with me is like, Hey, if it made it to a website or to my desk, it's like 20 people passed on that because usually mm -hmm. there's a friend, a family member, another franchisee or a customer that's going to go buy it if you're having for sale. So if you got to be patient, but it definitely would make sense to start like understanding what franchises could be a good fit. And then if they're already locally there, contact that owner and basically just start planting the seed. Like, Hey, I'd be interested in buying it at some point. That point could be now if they're ready, or they might say, Hey, you know, it's going to be a couple of years down the road, but you've at least started that relationship so that you can mm -hmm. go and be a, one of their first calls when they're ready to. And you know, also just yeah. like, make sure you understand clearly, like, what's your timeline? What do you need to hit to make that happen? Cause saying like, Oh, I might sell in a couple of years that doesn't give you a whole lot. You're like, what's, what's going to be that point where you want to sell? And they might have like a dollar amount they're going to make or certain point that they've grown the business. And so you, you call back every year and you say like, Hey, have you guys hit this, these points? And uh, that way you'll be very, uh, you know, detailed in like when it's right for them. So just to circle back for a second, is franchise focusing on resales or from the ground up? We do both. Um, okay. because the, the thing is, is that, um, for like existing franchisees, you know, we, we don't typically want to go acquire the entire things. We want great operators that are already there preferably. And so we like to focus on what, you know, there's franchisees that are like very heavily funded by private equity, but a lot of them are mom and pops and they got two, three, yeah. four, five locations. They want to scale it, but they've spent time and money to build up these locations. And then when they go for a bank loan, like it's complicated process, especially now very expensive. But then also they don't look at them like a franchisee normally. They, I mean, think about like if you own three houses and you're trying to get a fourth and they're like, well, oh, you got all this debt here. Well, from a franchise perspective, yeah, you're going to have a bunch of debt from like starting those businesses. But if you've got them cash flowing or hitting all the right KPIs, they've done the hardest part, which is building that foundation. And they're ready to scale now, but they're typically too small for those private equity type checks. And, and so, um, you know, we 
partner with them. And like we talk directly with the franchisor and they'll say like, hey, you know, here's four new areas they could expand to. Or here's three franchisees that are thinking about selling that we'd like to sell to this franchisee. And so like ideally we do a lot of uh, those ones, but those will be more of like income type uh, investments. So you'll have growth ones and income ones. If they're already existing, you're going to pay a premium and there's not a ton of appreciation, but there is cash flow quicker. But we also like doing uh, new startups. And, um, you know, that's where you're working with, like, again, those owner operators, so those operators that don't have the cash, but are great on paper for it. And uh, every franchise knows who these people are. Like, they apply, they reach out every year, and it's like, hey, I would put you one in a heartbeat, but you don't have a million bucks laying around. And so, um, you know, that's a lot of what we're trying to do, too. So it's a combination of the two. So correct me if I'm wrong here you may go out and find a very good operator that's got a successful track record, but they're more mom and pop size, maybe three or four locations. And then you'll come along, hold their hand through, well, we'll back you and we'll go out and acquire two or three others, or we'll build from the ground up. And you guys will be in place for operations and we're going to back you. Is yep. that correct? Yep. You nailed it. Awesome. So, Let's run through a scenario. What industry of type of franchise would you recommend me as an operator go after right now? What's yeah. something that's attractive right now? Oh my gosh, that, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> there are just so many industries out there. Um, I mean, I feel like it would be good to like talk on like complementary real estate businesses from like, okay, because um, you know, again, it depends on your skill set. But like, if you're looking for things that can like add on to um, the real estate side of things. Um, if it's residential or commercial, there's different types of franchise that you can look at. If it's residential, there's home cleaning, home painting, gutter services. I've seen uh, trash can washing, um, home repair, electrical, plumbing, home restoration. Like you, everyone probably is near like a serve pro. Those are franchises. So some of them are great areas that like, especially if you're like looking to acquire residential stuff, you can both build that business, but also get the first ins on like, Hey, they might be interested in selling their home soon. And uh, mm -hmm. also like if you're using any of those services for properties that you own, well, now you're going to get it for cheaper slash, you know, it's part of your business and you can again, refer to other uh, areas there. Um, if you're on the commercial side, there's commercial cleaning, uh, window washing, surprisingly a great one. Um, again, there's franchises for everything. There's one like fish window cleaning. They specialize in one and two story window washing. And so it's like such a small, target, but it does incredibly well because there's a uh, small like that. Um, waste management is a great one, especially on the commercial side. Um, again, there's janitorial services, cost reduction, list kind of goes on, but you know, so things like that, it's good to like, Hey, these are complementary to the business that I already run. And then you narrow down based on your skill set and budget. Okay. And what kind of, what, what should I be looking for? How do I know it's a good deal versus a bad deal? Um, are we talking? Uh, new locations. If, are I, existing. if, if I was go out to a, a resale, a resale. If I was go to go out to a commercial cleaning company, how do I know that I'm not overpaying? What should I be looking at? Yep. Because the, so, the way that we value businesses versus real estate is different, right? Yeah. Great point. So um, I like looking from the top down, even before you get into like what's the price on this and is it good? Step back. Look at the industry. Is this industry something that's going to continue to grow? Is it Amazon resistant? Uh, right. Things like that. Then once you get down there, it's like, okay, you've got this. Now you found this resale. It's a brand within the industry. Um, franchises are uh, regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. So as part of that, they all have to do what's called a, a franchise disclosure document. Now this document, it can honestly be hundreds of pages, but it is everything you need to know about that brand. And so you can see like the management team, is there litigation against the franchise? What company financials are? What it typically costs to start a location? And many of them provide a, a financial performance representation, like how much does an average location uh, make? Could be gross, could be net, they all do it a little bit differently. But this allows you to really vet the brand before you even decide, do I want this location? And the reason for that is maybe it's a poor performing location, but you see, hey, the averages do really well. Like then you can go to the owner and you know un see their business. Big. Okay, they're doing this, this, and this wrong. And I know if we fix these, we can probably get to at least this average level, if not higher. And you also know, like, oh, if there's a ton of litigation of like franchisees suing the franchisor, 
I don't care if it's a smoking price. The franchisor is not being supportive and you don't want to get involved in that brand. Um, so you're able to like get a very clear picture before you even start getting underneath everything. And then um, when it comes to like the actual value of the business, it's obviously going to vary depending on the industry, actually. So like things that are honestly, especially retail, food, automotive, fitness, hair care. Uh, I mean, it's a wide range. It could be anywhere from like four to six or seven times EBITDA as a sale price. Um, but then if it's something that's like professional services, um, let's say, for example, like they do business brokerage ones or even like, you know, there's uh, real estate uh, brokerage ones too. Thing with that is that like, because it's such a service industry that's based on you as sales and it's not like a repeat business, like you built this book, it's not going to keep going. The business is worth a lot less because once you walk away, customers are probably going to walk away too. Like you have to win those customers back over. And so they're honestly like two to three times EBITDA, maybe four uh, for something like that. So again, there's a lot of factors that go in. And so I always recommend like talking to a business broker too and like get comparables as well. Um, you can typically uh, see from the franchise, like how many have been sold recently. And you can ask them like what they've been selling for. Um, so those, those are some of the main tips I give for you. Yeah, there's, it's funny. EBITDA is my, I hate, <laughs> it's gonna, it might cause some controversy here, but EBITDA is my I, most painful. I hate that. Num I hate that metric. Because awesome. it doesn't, for, for me, it doesn't paint the picture. I want to know what's my net cash flow at the end. What What's left over, yeah. right? And with the EBITDA in financials, I'm like, there's a lot of games that can be played in there the, to make it yeah. look more attractive, right? Unfortunately, so, there are. It's definitely industry standard, though. <laughs> so, yeah, right. It's industry standard, but I'm just like, oh, I hate that. I hate that metric. <laughs> but so what are some of the things to look out for when you're going in and underwriting a potential acquisition? Um, well, you want to make sure their books are up to date and legitimate. So if you can get them audited, that's the preference. Uh, you want to go talk to customers of theirs too, and like get a feel from them. Like, cause customers will tell you if the business has been falling under for some reason or another, like if it's like you find out all the employees suck, it's like, oh, great. Well, now I'm going to have to know I have to restaff this business. Um, or if you know that, you know, it also tells you opportunities they might have too. It's like, oh, well, the service of this isn't what I want because of that. Well, now you know, oh, if I can come in and fix that, that's something that's going to improve the value here. Um, you're also going to want to understand why the owner is selling. So there's always a reason. And, you know, sometimes because they're moving, sometimes because they're retiring, but a lot of times there's that hidden reason. And so you, you want to like start to understand. So like going through the numbers, talking to customers, eventually talking to employees, if you can, uh, these will help you like understand a lot of things that are going on. If it's a physical location, you want to check out things like uh, their lease and their future terms. Like, do they have an option to renew or are you going to have to go find a new location in a year or two? Um, you also want to check out like their online presence. Like, have they already built this? This for good or bad. It's worth more if they've built it. There's bigger opportunity if they haven't. But if they have an absolutely terrible presence, like a lot of negative comments because they were running it down before, well, you have to go fight back on that now. And you're going to have to go rebuild good faith in the community. And so um, th those are some of the main things I, um, yeah, I'd say it's a pretty solid list there. Yeah, definitely. And then what's, what's the value add? So I go out, I acquire a business. What, what's the value add what, that you see? That's the quick, what's, what's the lowest barrier to entry to, okay, I can increase the value of this business. Maybe we can flip it. Or are you looking more in terms of let's hold for X amount of period and let, let time dictate this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that you make sense. More, yeah, you make more money in franchising for holding it longer. Like you're able to scale and it really just builds up over time as like you gain more customers, good, uh, uh, spoken well about in the community. And um, so you, you really want to get to a point where, I mean, you can see again what like average locations do. And so you want to see if you can get it to that or above. And then honestly, it depends. That's a personal goal thing too, where you say like, Hey, you know, I'd like to keep this going for a couple of years at that, and then I can sell it. Or you say, Hey, I increased to that. I'm going to make X percent if I go and sell it now. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a big part depending on what your goals are. So that's why I said uh, earlier on, actually, sorry, we talked about skill set and budget. I didn't mention goals before. That's actually a huge part yes. about buying a franchise too. It's, are you trying to sell it soon? Are you trying to pass it down to your kids? Is this going to be your career for the rest of your, until you're retiring? Um, are you trying to be in the store? Do you want even to be physical? 
Um, is it something where you want to be an owner operator or you're trying to establish management in there? Um, so those are all big parts of it too. So again, you drop your goals. Then when you're looking at like, what am I doing with this? We'll see how it aligns with your goals. Mm -hmm. So I guess the piece that I'm trying to find is where, like, are you looking for some sort of distress where you can add value somewhere? Or are you trying to just go in and acquire yield? Like what would, what, what's kind of the path here that you would encourage me to go for? Would it be, um, you know, I have okay. this money back in, we're going for yield, or I see and identify some sort of problem of poor management mm -hmm. and we can add value and flip it, for example. Yeah. It, uh, again, depends on your skill set. Like if you're good at going in and perfecting operations, go find something distressed. You know, I, I know people who do this a lot where they look for like uh, brands that have like multiple locations for resale that uh, they know they can get. Like if they do a, a facelift on the location and they restaff a couple places and put, invest in marketing that they can get that back up to like typical or above average operations. So if you if you have that skill set, that is great. And you should go and try and find something distressed. But if you're someone that wants to like come into something that's already going and be able to just kind of keep the ship as is, then yeah, you're, you're going to invest for yield and look for something uh, that's already going pretty well. You're end up paying more for it because of that, but it's also going to cause some less gray hairs. Gotcha. What's the, what's the downside of franchising? Cause everything seems, you know, rose tinted glasses right now. What, what's the downside? Yeah. The downside is that like, you know, typically you got to do what the franchisor says, especially with regards to like how the business is run. So if you, I mean, they love new ideas. Most franchises like get their best ideas from their franchisees. But, you know, if it's not something they're already doing, you can't just go off on the beat path and uh, go start doing whatever the hell you want. You have they do have brand standards that you typically have to stick to in business processes. And, you know, some people who are like there may be more of the creative type and want to like bring new things in that might drive them nuts. And there's others yeah. who like love being you know in the business structure and that's perfect for them. Um, the other thing is that, uh, you know, you eventually have to renew your term. I mean, it's less than an original franchise fee, but depending on the brand and the terms could be every seven or 10 years, you have to, uh, renew your franchise. Um, there's also the, you know, you got to manage people compared to like investing in stocks. You don't manage anything. I mean, that is why we create franchise. So if you don't want to manage people, you can get on that side, but you're always going to make more if you're doing all the work yourself. Um, this is, again, some people don't want to do work. Um, and then also it's that, uh, it's a business. I think that's the biggest fallback I see with franchise that people don't realize that yes, there's a business system in place for you to, you know, start scale it and continue, but it doesn't run itself. Like some people think you have the golden arches and it just prints money on its own when you open the doors. Like that's not how it works. It's not a passive side thing generally, unless like, again, some franchises are structured that way and you have to make sure they're very good people. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. So you have to make sure you're all in, you have that burning desire to run a business, not like, ah, I might as well do this. Oh, I thought about it. Like, just like any entrepreneur, you need to have a fire under your ass and go. And if you don't have that, like you should not own a franchise. Gotcha. And what, what time frame would you put on a business? Would you be like, we're holding this forever or we're getting in and out of this? I know it's probably dependent on performance, yeah. but dependent, what's, but also what's like, the, you know, yeah, dependent, like you said, but also, um, you know, franchise or like if they find out that you're trying to flip it in a couple of years, like they're not going to want to sell it to you. Like they want long-term partners. They're not trying to just get a franchise fee or whatever. Like they want to, their goal is to support you and get royalties forever. Like that's what they're in the business of. And so if they say like, oh, I'm going to flip it in two or three years, they're going to be like, I don't really want to sell this to you. Then I want to sell to someone who's going to hold on to it. And also, again, you're not going to make as much money as if you hold it for longer. So I'd say like plan at least five years, but honestly, like that 10 to 15, like it's a business, like any other business you should be playing on the longer terms. Not really good to flip it. Like you do real estate necessarily. How, how quickly could I expect? I know it's dependent on which franchise <laughs> and, and entry fee and, you know, there's a lot of variables going in. So just kind of averages here. Yeah. How quickly should I expect to see a return on my capital? Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I know you hate saying it depends every time, but there's more, there's more <laughs> franchises than there. There's more franchise yeah. brands than there are stocks on the stock market and it's hundreds of mm -hmm. industries. So it, that's why it always depends. But 
you know, service businesses are going to cash flow faster um, to, for both because um, they typically don't require a storefront. Like if you're doing, um, I don't know, let's say waste management, you know, you don't need a storefront and you can get to work immediately. And um, also there's not a ton of inventory. Your margins are higher. It typically requires more work, obviously. But with that, you could cash when you were six months to a year. I mean, I know plenty that do much faster than that. Some that do longer, but that's like a good safe bet there. Um, if you're looking at more on the retail side, you know, you've got to, again, if this is more speaking for new locations, but you have to scout the location's real estate. You have to go build it out. You have to go higher and then you have to start the business and you have to ramp it up. And so it could be 12 to 18 months there, uh, sometimes longer, sometimes less. But again, that's a good, like solid middle area. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, if you return a hundred percent of your capital in a year or less, it's, it's pretty compelling. If you yeah, ask me, yeah, you yeah. Know. yeah. But again, that, that's again, like that's, you got to have that right <laughs> skill set. And sorry, I was talking about cash flow right. positive. I wasn't talking about like okay. your retired investment. Sorry. That that's, okay. a different, that's a different story. So yeah, service wise, service industry wise, again, this is all across the board. could be two, three years. I, I'd say like, you know, a lot of times they're like, it's their full-time salary plus recouping investment. And then a retail one, it could be four or five years. Again, could could be mm -hmm. less. Um, but again, you're also like earning on the income side during that. So I'm reflecting like you've got both cash flow that you've already been getting, but if you're also looking at like the on top of that's uh, paying you back for starting the business. Yes. So what's what's the most attractive industry in terms of returning your capital quickly in a year or less? What's Honestly, is there a franchise out there that yeah. does that? Honestly, there's one that uh, we invested in. It's in the, uh, I mentioned a couple of times, waste management. Man, margins okay. are great and trash. I mean, um, the, like their margins on the average location are like 70%. And uh, it's quick to start up and there's no storefront. And uh, you're building routes of recurring revenue. And um, because this business, it's uh, specifically, specifically for commercial waste. And so you think about like manufacturing, construction, uh, transportation, they've all got those like giant open top dumpsters out there. Costs a ton of money to haul that off to the dump every time. So the franchise is called Smash My Trash. And what they do is they drive this giant rig out with, if you look it up, you'll see it's hilarious and amazing. But it's like a two ton steel drum that compresses everything down and mashes it. Doesn't touch yeah. the dumpster so the uh, actual garbage people can't get mad at you. And, um, you know, that one, like, honestly, I think we're going to see our money back with like plus profit in the next 12 to 18 months, if not less, like it's a very quick to scale business. So that's a service on waste management that essentially just compresses the trash in the dumpster or is it yeah. the whole package? No. So it's it, just, uh, com just, just compressing the dumpster. It. Yeah. You're literally really? you're investing in trucks and the, in the service. And so, um, yeah, cause if you think about it, if I have to get yeah. this dumpster, uh, hauled off to the dump once a week costs me money. If I can get yeah. smashed and it compresses it 60, 70%, well, hell, I can fill it up two or three more times and then get it hauled off. And so on average, they save uh, them 20% on their waste management costs and they don't have to do anything. Yeah, I honestly was, we had a load of dumpsters on a construction project recently and, you know, we can't have things sticking out above the, the, the top of the container. Yeah. So it's like, and obviously everything's different types of trash, we, you know, furniture, whatever. So having someone up to compress that is that, yeah, it's super valuable. It's yeah. probably something that we and, should actually look in, look into. Yeah. Honestly, there's like 500 locations across the country. Like we tried buying most of the uh, remaining territory they had left. And um, it, same thing is like, yeah, everyone has that problem where they're like trying to stuff stuff down, but a setting like that, you're at a huge insurance liability. Like if one of your workers, mm -hmm steps on the wrong thing and cuts their leg, you're going to get sued for workers comp versus this. It just removes all that from the conversation. And on top of that, if you're having someone that you employ do that, it is literally costing you money. You are paying to have someone smash your trash anyway, but not that well. <laughs> right. So I guess why, why invest in franchises? Let's compare and contrast real estate to franchising. I guess what's, what are the benefits of franchising versus real estate in terms of, you know, real estate, we're getting depreciation, appreciation, principal pay down and cash flow. Mm. They're the four buckets, right? Yep. Let's compare that to franchising. What are we looking at? Cash flow? What else? Cash flow, equity appreciation. Um, 
sellability. So like compared, you know, real estate, there's a market for it always. Franchising, there's usually, as long as it's a good brand, people are looking to, like you said, acquire existing locations. And so if, especially if you took the time to build it up, you get to sell it for a premium uh, because other people don't want to do the work. Um, there's also, um, again, if you're owning it, you can write off all sorts of stuff as business expenses, as I'm sure you're aware of. Um, and then also, again, there's like that, uh, like I said, the cash flow part is very high for other types of investments. But I always like to say, I don't like saying franchising or real estate. It's an and conversation. Um, you know, like average financial advisor tells you you should have 20% of your portfolio in alternatives. And having all of any of your portfolio in one category is bad. So like in alternatives, like real estate is one part of that alternative bucket. But you should also diversify within that alternative space. Like you don't invest in just one stock. So we think about that in the alternative space too. So like I literally have partner companies I work with that do fractional investing for real estate that like, I'm like, Hey, we're not competing. We're friends with each other. Like we want to send each other business because I'd be super greedy if I thought I'm competing with your investment in real estate or this. I'm like, no, allocate some here, allocate some there. And so it's really like, that's an additional benefit is the diversification part of it. Um, and also not just in like the different asset classes, but also like diversifying risks. So like, you know, home housing market goes down or, you know, uh, you know, uh, rentals and offices go down. You are at risk of that with a franchise. You have different risks, not those risks. So like crap, interest rates went up. Well, that's going to affect those real estate investments, but not my franchise ones. Frankly, you go into recession, real estate depends on the real estate, obviously, but, uh, compared to franchising, like invest in recession resistant industries, automotive. You're not buying new cars. You're fixing up the old ones and making sure they last longer. Hair care, like Apple stock could be down, hair is still growing. Uh, fitness, like those who do fitness, they they won't stop. That is part of their life. And so, um, you know, it's again, just like diversifying your holdings. So that's why I don't like to say it's this or that. It should be this and that. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, so so how, how would I go about, we touched on this a little bit, but how do I get my deal flow going other than going to brokers, going direct to owners? How do I keep that deal flow going? What does that look like? Yeah. So um, in that case, I, we're definitely talking about like existing locations. Cause if you're trying to do existing new ones, locations, the deal flow yeah. is whatever you want it to be. Um, but yeah, with existing ones, again, plant those seeds with local owners. I mean, really understanding what brands and industries you want to get into first, like we said, identifying budget and skill set. And so if you start going through this, you say, okay, I understand this. I'm not going to want to do a food place. I'm going to want to do some type of sales franchise. Well, then you can get a list of the different franchises in these areas that could be a fit for you. And like, like I said, go talk to all these owners, have, you know, keep planting the seed for them. Uh, Cause they also franchise owners, know other franchise owners. And so they'll reach back. Hey, I know this guy, Dom, that's looking to buy one. Like, why don't you go talk to him? And, um, yeah. and having a couple different business brokers and franchise brokers on your roster will definitely help you. Um, outside of that, you can go talk to the brands themselves and say like, Hey, I'm looking for a resale whenever they are available. It's going to be rare that they give you the call for it, but there's no harm in asking them and seeing what's available. And, um, yeah, again, those are the main ways. It's again, a very tricky one because typically when someone's ready to sell, they already know who they're going to sell it to. And that's also the position that we're in because people, there's no really access to deal flow unless you're known as a buyer. And so now branches we're known as a buyer. And so people come to us because like, oh, we know we can get investment from you for this. So if you're not already known for it, which is why I said, go plant those seeds between owners and brokers and all that stuff. So let's get a little bit more granular to help our audience if they want to go out and try and acquire a business or you can cut that learning curve and, you know, look into something like franchise, but mm. what does that look like on a granular? How do I, how do I know who the owner is? If it's an LLC, how do I contact them? And what does that conversation look like? Great. Like what's my, my step? What's my next step? Great question. That, um, that, that's where most people get stuck. Yeah. It's just that's... taking that initial action. Yeah, that's a great point. So um, one, uh, this works for some and not for others, but those franchise disclosure documents I've mentioned, um, they're actually publicly available on uh, state websites. Um, you got to do some uh, navigating to find them. But once you do find an area where you can search for those FDDs, look for the brands that you for that brand that you're interested in. And uh, it's called item 20 in there. Uh, you have franchisee information. And so it'll actually say who the owners are and the locations and stuff. 
a lot of times they'll say who they are so you can go reach out to them. Other times it might be those LLCs, like you mentioned. And so you kind of hit a wall. Um, getting in really good with the staff there and like just kind of mentioning why you're there. Like when they know it, it's a legitimate conversation happening, not just like, I want to sell you something. Like if you come in, come in there and like get to know the staff a bit, because also like they want to be able to like you and like work for you. So if you go and butter them up and say like, Hey, you know, I'm really interested in uh, potentially buying this or, or maybe one of the other ones, like, would you mind reaching out to the owner and let them know I'm interested? Like leave your information with them. And like, that will usually get passed along. Um, and that's for like, especially more of the retail setting ones. If it's a service-based one, well, oftentimes it's owner operated, like it usually is. And so you call and you're probably talking to the owner or one of the salespeople who is a call away from the owner and do the same thing. And what should that, okay. We say this all the time is TTP, just always be talking to people. Yeah, always, yeah. You, know, you know, work your way in. But I get that, I, I call, an owner operator, I get to the sales guy and the sales guy passed me on to the owner. I get through the gatekeeper. How do I start this conversation? Cause I'm sure if you go in saying, I want to buy your business, they're going to go. Whoop. It depends. You know what I mean? Unless I mean, they, unless you get a, you know, that yeah. perfect timing, right? You know, I'll see. Yeah. It, hopefully it's perfect timing, but I think a great way of doing it is like you approach and say, Hey, you know, I've been interested in acquiring a franchise for a while. I saw you've been doing this. It looks super interesting. Not sure if you're interested in selling anytime soon or down the road, but you know, would love to pick your brain about like what your experience has been like, what you like and don't like. Now you're researching the business anyway, and then uh, say like, yeah, and then like I'd have to understand like what your long term goal is. So like, if you do plan on selling at some point, I'd love to be that person that could you know be in the conversation because then that way they like they see that like you're not trying to push them, you're aligned with their goals, and like. For them, they're like, cool, I'll have a buyer. Like, here's another buyer lined up for when I am ready for it. Um, so that that would definitely be a good way. And also going back to uh, finding people to uh, talk to and who to buy from, go call the franchises themselves. And um, you know, there's franchise salespeople who like, you call McDonald's corporate, there's someone selling franchises. I mean, that job's not very hard, but you know, if you call them and say, hey, I'm interested in a resale, I live in the Chicago area, is there anything available? Well, they'll let you know if there is, but then oftentimes like if they see that you're serious and you're financially qualified, uh, they often know who might be willing to sell. Um, Cause if there's someone who's like maybe disgruntled or tired or just like going through a situation or anything where they might want to sell, they'd love a, a new owner to come in and bring some new energy in there and get things going. So uh, they might know what's already available or what could be available. Yeah. And, and here's the thing, what, what I'm hearing overall is, you know, most people don't want to do the work or put in the work or don't have the financial backing. So one is, are you a person that actually wants to go out and make those cold calls, those phone calls and do the work to mm -hmm. potentially do it? And then you need the financing too. Mm -hmm. Secondly is if you go and contact the franchises themselves, are they even going to take you seriously? Right? Mm -hmm. So the barrier to entry seems like it could be pretty tough, right? It, it so, could be. Um, what would you say to, and I've seen these online, they pop up sometimes is buy a business with no little to no money down. How realistic is that? Um, depends which type of ad you're seeing. Like a lot of times if you start Googling franchise, it'll be like buy a franchise from 25 or 30,000. And that's always misleading. And that'll often be like, um, you know, that's maybe the franchise fee. And it's like, no, you have to fund the rest of the business too. And again, that's a great part about those disclosure documents we mentioned is that they have to outline how much it costs to start a location and break it down by line item. And they have to do it in a range because it costs a different amount to open something in downtown Chicago where I am versus in cornfields of Iowa. And so like, you know, you'll get a better idea of like where within that range it, it falls. But um, yeah, I, sorry, did I answer your question? Got a little off topic. <laughs> Yeah, I think the first the first portion was, you know, are you a person that wants to go hunting and put yeah. deals together? Are you someone that the franchise is going to take seriously, depending mm -hmm. on the franchise? If it's a McDonald's, what well, it's probably minimum million dollar investment. So yeah. you're probably not looking at a McDonald's. So are they going to take you seriously? Or do you take a lower path of resistance and get into, say, shares of a franchise, right? Yeah. That's, that's kind of those three buckets. Mm -hmm. And then the other side is, well, 
someone told me or something told me I can get into it with a little to no money down. Yeah. So what's I'm trying to get what's the real picture going on here? Let's get down to the real nuts and bolts. Um, trying to, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely different avenues of it. Like if you're looking to go acquire an existing one, it's not going to be little money down. Like it never is. You're going to put up at least 20% of the uh, purchase price down and then have to get a loan for the rest. Um, and then again, we do the fractional shares of it because we're investing in other franchises, but, um, but yeah, generally if they're like startup is for little to nothing, it means they probably just want to take some money from you. Like if they're like, they get 25 grand, it's like, well, I got that. What now? And they're like, well, now yeah. good luck. Or, you know, they might not offer a lot of support. So that's a good part of like, when you're investigating a franchise is like, well, what support do you give to franchisees? Is it just, here's a website, good luck. Or is it, we have weekly calls, you get a, a business consultant that's going to help you. Uh, we have marketing mm -hmm. resources for you. Uh, so those are things that you're going to look for too. But when that's whether yeah. it's a new or existing one. Yeah. And how much support do you guys offer? If you're going and finding good owner operators, how much support do you provide them, or if, if any at all? Yeah. So, I mean, generally they're already getting support from the franchisor that they work with. Um, but we already have some things that we offer and we're honestly building out a lot more of things that we can offer. Like we want our investments to be even more successful. And so um, things like how you uh, go through the permitting process faster, um, how you scout where locations, where locations should be based on similar brands, previous brands that have been in the area, um, finance, obviously, and um, uh, recruiting and marketing. So those are like the five buckets that we help with already, but there's a lot more that we're getting into really shortly here. Okay. Um, there's, there's been a couple, cause we have a brokerage on, on the fitness side, selling, selling, uh, uh, franchises, like mm -hmm. gym franchises, big box and, and boutique. Um, a lot of what we see is territories get oversold yeah. and it makes it very difficult. How do you protect, or how do you know that if you're going into this franchise, it's mm -hmm. not just going to be totally saturated. One of the first things I tell people is um, when you're looking in those franchise disclosure documents, you can see territory restrictions. So you have to make sure that there are territory restrictions and that they are at a decent range. What Sometimes they do it by a uh, certain mileage distance. Sometimes it's by population. And so, um, you know, a good, good comparison for this is Subway. You know, people, Subway's everywhere. It must be great. It's like, no, it's actually a terrible franchise. It's also really cheap to buy. We're like, oh, it's cheap and it's everywhere. It must be great. Well, they don't have territory restrictions. And so if you ever see them like open up across street from each other, Subway doesn't care. They're getting twice the exposure. One will fail. It's no skin off their back. And they got another one who's paying royalties forever. So you want ones that have that protection. And then what's great is that like, as you're exploring investing in a franchise, either new or existing, you, you talk to other franchise owners. And so you can ask them is one of the things I'd always recommend is you see like what the territory restrictions are and say, Hey, you know, you have territory restrictions for a population of 250,000. Does that feel right to you or 10 miles? Like, does that feel right to you? Or do you find yourself competing with other people and territories are going to vary so widely depending on the type of business. Like if you are a retail store, you know, again, a McDonald's, like if I'm here versus a mile or two away, well, frankly, it might be different traffic paths and you're not really eating up each other. Versus if you're a service-based one, I mean, you might get, I mean, they'll usually do it by like zip codes. So you can see like, that's my territory there. Um, if someone's overlapping your territory, you will be fighting them forever. And um, you also want to make sure that like, is this a good enough territory where I can build a big business on? Okay. So I, I kind of want to flip the script quickly. And then I have a couple quick short answer questions for you. Yeah. Um, what, what should I totally avoid? Should, is there specific states I should avoid and the reasons why it's specific industries? Like what's, what is your hard no? Um, well, at the moment, California's kind of out. Um, they're going through some <laughs> legal uh, difficulties there. I, I think it'll all end up passing over because like the lawmakers there, and I, and I lived in California for 10 years. I love California, but you know, they make a lot of laws that like they didn't talk to other people about to see like how that actually affects them. And so it's going to be a little tough there. Um, you know, food is actually one of my least favorite industries. Like you got to find the right, right deals for it because honestly it's the tightest margin industry there is. 
it's a war for pennies and highly marketing intensive. Um, so those are some areas I tend to look away from. You want to get away from anything that's like really fad driven, like what's really hot right now, like, like you know, yogurt franchises, things like that. Um, I uh, also try, I mean, things that I like, again, I'm, I'm a big fan of service brands, um, just lower startup costs, higher margins, quicker to scale. Um, I also love things that have uh, recurring revenue. So if they're subscribing to something and they have to pay every month, like that is the dream. And it also makes your business a uh, much better resale value. Uh, you also want to see like who's backing the franchise. You know, is this their first business that they've done or is it like a repeat person? They came from one franchise to the next and they are great at it. Um, you also want to see like how they're backed. Like, are they backed by private equity that's going to be disappearing in a year or two? Because that could drastically change the business. You get a new owner in, they want to shake things up. Um, so those are some of the, the main ones, I'd say. What's the biggest mistake you've made? This mistake I've made? Um, is that franchise specific? In general? Just in general. In general. In general. Hmm. Maybe something that you've done and realized after the fact, and you're like, I would do it differently now. I mean, this is going to be a cheap answer, but I was on the prices, right? <laughs> when I was in college. Were you really? I, yeah. And I was a broke as hell college student too. Like I, I was the ramen kid. And so, um, you know, if you bring a group, no. of, if you bring a group of 15 or more to the prices, right, they guarantee you one spot on there. So I got really? 15 guys together. We drove up from San Diego to LA and went there. And, um, you know, I, I got, uh, actually got chosen to go on, you know, excited as hell. And, um, I got chosen like on the later half of it. And so it's like one of the toughest parts when you're you know, bidding originally. And I got super lucky, got to go up and it was like, here's three items. One of them's more expensive than the other two, which is it. And it was like a 70 inch TV, a moped and like skis and snowboards. And I, I totally botched that one. I was like devastated. And then I, I got to spin the wheel, which is awesome. And I had to spin first though, it sucked. Spun a 45, devastating, got to spin again. Got another <laughs> yeah. 45. Got to go to the showcase showdown, and then I, um, I, I go there and got, I talk to the other guy before we start going for it. I'm like, "So are you the trip guy or the car guy?" And he's like, "I drove my car from New York to here, and it is dead. I need a car." And I'm like, "Damn!" And so um, he first one comes up, and it's like a trip to Whistler, a couple fur coats, skis and snowboards, snowmobiles. And just all of the hardest to price things I've ever seen. He passes on it. And yeah. I don't I, I would go back and change my bid. I think I said like fifteen thousand and it was like twenty-one. But uh yeah, so he ended up winning. And I was the rule there is always take the cash because you have to pay tax on the other stuff anyway. So yeah. take the cash. But you know, at that age I was nineteen, twenty, and have twenty, thirty grand in my pocket. I would have been a very dangerous man in, in a good way. I like to build stuff. So I would probably would have started a business or two and yeah. got going. So uh, that's, that's my big mistake. <laughs> my next one was going to be biggest success, but I feel like this is more of a success than a mistake, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll take that too. But honestly, biggest success was um, getting my first check uh, from an angel yeah. investor to get franchise going. You know, I got, I reached out to probably 400 venture groups before. And I got 397 no's and I got three eh, interesting talk to us later. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to, I was like, screw you guys. I'm going to prove there's demand for this. I'm going to go find angel investors. And I found like, I raised like 600 grand in three weeks. Um, and I was like, all right, there's, there's wheels here. But like that first check is the hardest. And it was just the ultimate validation of like, this no, idea yeah. is going to happen. Yeah. And so that was that to date is my biggest success, but I feel like we're always new successes around here, but that was, that's a moment I'll never forget. Well, that's a story. There is 300, what, 60, 70 no's to get that one. Yes. That's yeah. what it takes. Right. It makes yeah. me think of that graphic online where there's two miners like going through a tunnel and there's a pot of gold here. And then this yep. miner gets an inch away and is turning around. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's one more call and you, you know, you get to the pot of gold. Book. Have you ever read uh, Think and Grow Rich? I did a while ago. I actually yeah. listened to the audio book. I do a lot of audio books, so I don't remember it too well. You know, when you drive, I should read more, but audio books, I'm driving, I'm kind of zoning out a little bit, but, but what, what makes you think of that? 
Uh, that's where that originally came from. That like that oh, is it comic really? was made off that. Yeah, the, like that story's yeah. in there, and you know that book is like seventy years old. So I'm like sure people yeah. read it, and then like just you know everyone steals shit and puts it online. So it was probably like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> just regurgitate the information. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. Let's talk. Let's unpack that a little bit, though. Um, so w when was this? When did this start? When did you start going out for these investors to the investors, um, the angels? So um, I might have mentioned this before, 2020 hit, read an article, people were gambling yeah. on the stock market. And so uh, yeah. I then was like, okay, I need to go make this happen. So it was probably May 2020, I like started getting to work on like what the hell I was doing. I'm not even sure I officially had the name yet. And so I like got registered, built the website, all those things. I had to go and uh, pitch a law firm. And they're like one of the biggest law firms in the country. I basically had to say like, here's my idea. Here's why you should do all my legal work for free, and I promise I'll get ra I'll raise money, and pay you back later. And so I had to pitch them. Really? Play. Yeah. And uh, you know, they believed, and uh, they fronted it for me. And I one of the wow. happiest days when I could pay them back. You know, people are like, "What are you going to do when you raise the money?" And I'm like, "Well, first things first, I'm paying back the lawyers. You know, like you, you got to support those who supported you first. And um, yep. so that September 2020, we officially got formed first, and then I went start fundraising. And like I said, that was a Brutal, brutal road. And uh, I think I finished in like May 2021. Mm -hmm. And then um, I had to start like, you know, actually building stuff from there because I, it was just an idea, a deck and a landing page then. So I started putting together the back end, hired my first employee like November that year. And so, um, you know, we're finally launched like June 2022 and um, had the largest launch for an alternative investing platform ever. And, um, you know, now we're, we've got a couple other offerings that are coming out shortly here and we've got uh, 41,000 and change on the wait list. So yeah, it's been a journey, but it's been a great one. It's, it was like this week, especially was a very full circle moment for me. Cause we had, um, tech Chicago week here and yeah. I got invited to the capital summit where like you're meeting with VCs everywhere. And you know, two yeah. years ago, no one's answering my calls. Now people are running across the room because they recognize the name and they're like, oh man, is your round still up? I'd love to invest in you guys. And, also, my favorites, people come like, man, I missed out. I should have pulled the trigger. Um, so, yeah. like, love yeah, that. Was, I love that. <laughs> it was it was very full circle this week. So, um, yeah. Do you have an athletic background by any chance? Um, I mean, I grew up playing sports, but I moved mm -hmm. to Colorado when I was, like, 13. And most of the sports I played, they'd be yeah. like, um, so that town an hour away does that. So you'd have to drive an hour each way for practice. And I'm like, oof. Guess I'm not playing football anymore. <laughs> yeah. So when I was younger, yes, but after that, not really. I guess that because I just see because you know a lot of athletes and you know non-athletes too, but I see it a lot in, in athletes that when you have a goal and you have your mindset on something, it's like I'm going to make this work no matter what. And oh. it seems like it's also, this yeah. is this is you, you know. So that comes from I'm I'm a son of an entrepreneur. And so uh, I've watched my yep. dad succeed and fail in businesses. And, um, you know, when he eventually moved to California, I was like middle of high school. Um, you know, I stayed in college for a bit. He moved out there and I eventually went and lived with him. But like, I remember the days, you know, we had nothing to our name then. And it was like, he'd risen and fallen starting over there. And uh, we call it the, the these days. Cause we were so broke. We were using plasticware until they were down to two prongs and then grabbing some more. And, um, you know, he started off like, cool, I'm going to go get a realtor's license. That's super cheap to do. Did that, became the number one uh, rookie realtor in like this nice part of San Diego that year. And then he's like, all right, well, this is good, but the money's slow. Like I'm going to start a window sales business because he's done that before. And he started growing that. And he's like, all right, I'm getting on the roll. And then, um, you know, he started a residential solar company. And this is like when the tax credits like first start happening. So like before then it was like 30, 40, 50 grand out of pocket to get solar on your roof. So people were like, no, I'm yeah. not buying solar from you. And so like a lot of people didn't believe in him. And so he started off just hanging door hangers one at a time down the street. And then um, and he literally started from there, eventually got himself on TV and then was doing newspapers and then, you know, big on marketing. And next thing you know, he was sponsoring the Padres and the Chargers. And, you know, it's like mm -hmm. all this shit built up from the plastic fork days. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, it's where I learned and he kind of instilled in me growing up as like, things will always be rough, but like, be laser focused, have that burning desire and go run for it. So, uh, I, you know, I've failed a lot in my life too. And so like, I know like failures are temporary success is not given it's earned. And so, uh, just had to keep trucking along. 
Yeah, honestly, going from 2020 to where you are now, this is like hyper growth. Oh, yeah. You know? It's been a journey, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super impressive. Um, but yeah, I, I I really appreciate you getting on, Kenny. I don't I want to, you know, be courteous of your time here. We're, we're at about an hour. So no, I, re I really appreciate you getting on. Is, is there any last things you want to touch on? How do people contact you, reach you? How do they look into Frances? Yeah. Um, well, I, per, if you're for me personally, I'm very big on LinkedIn. Um, add me yeah. on there. Mention that you heard uh, where you heard it from. And then um, also uh, you can go to the franchise website, hop on our wait list, learn about future offerings. And uh, we're, we're on all the social channels, both myself and Franchise. So we try and be pretty easy to find. <laughs> right. Great. And if, and you're based in Chicago, right? I sure am. Yep. Maybe if I'm out there sometime, I can come meet with you, grab a coffee or a drink or something. I will show you a good time. That is promised. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. All right, Kenny. Thank you, man. Appreciate awesome. it. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.